Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dopamine. C-Note here. I screwed that up already, but that's fine. Welcome to the show that is like going to the dark side. It's not as bad as you think it is. You just have to get comfortable with it. And, and it's funny. I, I, I've been having these moments lately where I've been thinking about like life as an adult, and I never thought I would be able to embrace how nerdy I can be as an adult. Like that's what made me think about like the star Wars stuff. Cause I have, you know, I, I have an apartment where there's like nerdy things everywhere, but I don't look like I'm a child. <laughs> and it's like, it's fascinating to have so many people around in my life that are fully openly embracing how nerdy they were. But at the time when we were kids, it was such like a scary thing to be a nerd. And now it's fantastic. And I love it. Um, but anyway, Today on the show, we're talking with Dr. Jennifer Barr about naturopathic medicine and um, kind of bringing in a different perspective because this is not something I ever thought I would listen to or be a part of or have someone on. And that was kind of part of what the show is about is really allowing multiple perspectives to shine uh, and allowing people to be curious because there are plenty of people who would hear this and dismiss it and not be willing to listen. But it's, I think it's pretty interesting to consider and think about and and um, for the most part, it's it's about preventative medicine, which I think is something that we should all th consider and think about. So in relation to mental health, there's a lot of uh, complicated nuances, but I totally believe in Dr. Jennifer Barr and what she stands for. So her as a person, she's rad. It was one of the better conversations that I've had. It was certainly a really nice, welcoming, intellectual conversation that I really, really appreciated. So um I don't know, grab a stogie and sit back and listen to, I don't know, what do you do while you pod, while you listen to podcasts? I mean, I don't know if anyone actually like sits back on the couch and pulls out a cigar and starts listening to podcasts. If you do, I hope it's on an old timey radio. That's what I would hope for. <laughs> um, I mean, it better be. That's actually a really good idea. I want to do that in the future is like have a old timey radio that has like a USB cord or whatever, or Bluetooth. I'm sure they sell those at this point and just kind of set up sort of a, an, a part of hopefully my future home <laughs> with like two nice leather chairs and like a, an old timey uh, speaker and just listen to podcasts and drink some scotch. That sounds wonderful. I want to do that. After I do this, I'm going to pour me a drink and just chill out for a while. But anyway, go ahead and listen to this episode. However you listen to podcasts, there's no judging. You can drink a scotch or you can be running like a normal person and enjoy yourself. Have a good time. Enjoy this episode of dopamine and uh, yeah, have some fun. Drums, Okay, Dr. Jennifer Barr, welcome to the show. Thanks, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, very exciting. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, what you do, and how that pertains to mental health and mindset. Oh my gosh, it's everything about mental <laughs> health and mindset. Uh -huh. um, so it's, I'm a naturopathic doctor, which is basically the integrative doctors before integrative doctors were a thing. So we focus on using both conventional and natural therapies, natural therapies first and foremost, um, with really intensive diagnostics when we need to. So we get like basically the best of both worlds. So that's what I, what I am. I'm a naturopathic doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, my, my practice focus is exclusively on helping people who have mental health challenges. So mm -hmm. basically a lot of people call me like a naturopathic psychiatrist, which we're, we're, we don't have an official designation for that yet, but it's in the works. So maybe the next time I talk to you, I'll be officially a naturopathic psychiatrist. Cool. Um, yeah, so that, that's what I do. And it's, uh, it was, well, I'm sure we'll get there in, in our conversation, yeah. but there's yeah. a, a lot of reasons that I do right. it. So, well, well, the first thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, what kinds of mental health do you typically treat? Is it, um, you know, are you treating, treating more subtle disorders or anything that's a little bit more extreme? I actually get mostly the extreme stuff. Um, okay. And then part of the reason for that is that a lot of people don't even know what a naturopathic doctor is, let alone that we are licensed primary care doctors and specialists in various different states. 
-hmm. And so people don't even realize that we're an option necessarily. So unfortunately, I end up seeing a combination of the, the adults that I work with are usually people who have been on meds for a long time and are trying to get off or the meds have failed them right. or parents who are trying to keep their kids from getting on meds in the first place. And I treat a lot of people who have bipolar disorder in particular um, because I have a personal history with bipolar disorder, which we can talk about if you're interested in that. I, I'm pretty open about that. Okay, um, cool. And so I, I have my own experience. So I understand it on a level that that many doctors do not understand it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I work with a lot of people, a lot of kids who have a condition called PANDAS, which is this really complex set of conditions or set of, set of symptoms that is basically a nervous system and a psychiatric system or like a psychiatric response to infections. Specifically with PANDAS, it's, it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Mm -hmm. So it's like strep throat that makes you crazy, quote unquote crazy. Right. Um, and then it can happen with other, other different uh, conditions as well. And we call that PANS. And so these are really, really complex um, conditions that have uh, impacts on the nervous system, the, the immune system, um, and basically where the immune system is attacking the nervous system itself and creating ticks and OCD and rage and um, like overnight sort of thing. So generally I see really more complex things. My, I have a colleague here in my practice that, that sees the broad spectrum from mild anxiety and depression to um, intense schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, you name it. She basically sees everything. I'm a little bit more focused in my practice. Um, and then the other thing I'm doing right now that I'm really excited about because it gets on the level of like prevention ultimately is uh, I have a program that I help moms or mo mothers to be to get off of psych meds before they get pregnant so that they don't have the impacts on the developing baby because psych meds by and large are not safe in pregnancy and cause a lot of problems for the kiddos. Yeah. Has there been any link from between psych meds and uh, postpartum depression? There have been. Um, well, the, the bigger concern is that it actually can cause issues with the baby. Um, mm -hmm. With so a lot of them are, are you cannot take when you're pregnant because it can cause birth defects or fetal death. And mm -hmm. so a lot of times we have moms who are really struggling because they've gone off of these psych meds really rapidly without doing anything to help their body to heal um, mm -hmm. or that are taking the medications and running the risks to their babies and then having lots of issues with the babies. Um, in the long run. And so, and the great thing about using naturopathic medicine is that we work on the epigenetic level. So we can actually improve outcomes both in pregnancy and for the baby. So it's, it's awesome because we get to do preventative work before somebody's even born by working with mom before she even gets pregnant. So it's, it's like I get to treat the kids before they even show up. Right. <laughs> which, which is great. And you know, the focus on children is, is, is massive because we've got, um, you know, I'm sure with the, the mention of meds failing is kind of linked to this kind of overarching discussion of the opioid epidemic and people mm -hmm. getting addicted to things and, and nobody wanting kids to get involved in any of that, whether it's opioids or something that could lead to that. Um, and, and what I'm kind of trying to lead to here is asking about um, how someone becomes exposed to what you do rather, because I think if somebody heard natural, uh, how do you say that? Naturopathic, naturopathic, uh -huh. naturopathic medicine, um, you know, they might think that it's a little bit more woo woo and linked mm -hmm. to things that are not, you know, scientifically tangible. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's interesting to me that you're, you know, you're a doctor in this. And um, do you think that aspect of it being formally, uh, um, formally introduced to people or being something that is, is, uh, you know, linked to someone being a doctor is creating more credibility in that, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I, I hope so, because there's a lot of people who are doing, you know, very woo-woo natural, natural therapies that don't um, actually have any medical training. You right. know, they don't know how to do a diagnosis. They can't order labs. They can't prescribe medications. And sometimes right. medications are the right answer. Not right. always. Mm -hmm. um, and they're usually not the long-term solution. So like, I'm not anti-med. I write prescriptions for medications sometimes. Right. Um, it crushes me every time I do. Uh, but every once in a while, they're necessary to help pull somebody into a better place so that they can do better on the, the natural treatments and the diet and lifestyle types of things. Mm -hmm. I think that um, there is some credibility that's added when somebody sees a naturopathic doctor, somebody or a physician who's got training. Um, mm -hmm. I, in California, I can't call myself a physician, but in other states I can. So it's just uh -huh. it's a legality thing. Right, right. Which comes to a bigger chat, a bigger issue is that there are there's some pushback that you get from, um, you know, from 
for protection of the ability to practice or business purposes, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there's there gets pushback from the, the conventional medical community sometimes against naturopathic doctors, even though we have four-year naturopathic medical training that's very similar to, to an MD or a DO. We just include the natural things. Um, and we have licensing boards and exams and everything that we have to take and we're regulated. It, there's still pushback. And, and unfortunately, when people hear pushback from the doctors that they've always heard about and know about, mm -hmm. they start to bring into question sometimes the validity of, of what somebody is doing. Even though if you sit down and talk to one of us, you figure out that there's an awful lot of things that make sense about what we're talking about. Right. And, and even some challenges, if you really think about the, the underlying science and the way the science is done in the conventional realm, especially in psychiatry, you start to recognize that it makes less sense on the conventional realm. <laughs> um, but it's, it can be hard to, to wrap your brain around because it's, it's something that's just part of our dogma, right? It's part of how we function as a society. It's mm -hmm. part of what we know from advertising and, and doctors in our own experience. So yeah, I mean, people are, are versed to change, you know, there's the same yeah. sort of image that comes with going to a doctor, All uh, you know, you, you go and you get the hammer on the knee, and then you get some pills, and you're good. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and, and I think, um, you know, that that aspect of preventative care uh, is, is not spoken about as much. Um, uh, at least from my experience, it doesn't seem like it's, it's spoken about as much. Um, so uh, I, I guess talk about a little bit about that um, in terms of uh, the preventative aspect of the care, like um, yeah. especially when it comes to, to mothers and children, um, you know, the problem, the struggle that I've kind of had in life is like, why do I go to a doctor if I don't know what's going on? Like there's, I'm fine. Why should I go to a doctor? Especially with like the financial issues and economic issues going on right now. Of there's course. a lot of people who don't have a lot of money trying to, you know, they, they want to make sure they're okay, but they're like pushing through because they're like, I'm fine. I've got a broken wrist and it's like, yeah, I need, I just need the right one. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I, I guess the preventative part, like what's, what differ differentiates what you do versus, you know, the, I guess the conventional, the, the, the conventional uh, yeah. aspect of that. Well, it's huge. There's a huge difference. What, for mm -hmm. conventional medicine, the preventative work is really um, imaging and vaccinations. And that's about it. You know, I, I see a lot of conventional doctors myself. I'm a disabled veteran. And so I get a lot of my, basically my primary care and my specialist care through the VA. And those are very conventionally focused doctors. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that it's very frustrating for me. Like I, I basically go and I use them to get tests run that I don't want to have to pay out of pocket for. So right. then I can go take it back and do all the work that I know how to do with it. Right. Uh, and so it's, if we're doing imaging and we're, we're looking at doing like mammograms and colonoscopies and things like that as preventative, mm -hmm. we're not really doing prevention. We're doing early detection, which is very different. Right. Prevention means that we actually prevent something from starting, right? Mm -hmm. Not that we just catch it early. Right. And so prevention would mean definitely taking a really strong look at your diet and your lifestyle. And that includes things like exposure to environmental toxins that do have an impact on your nervous system, your hormone balance, and your immune system, um, mm -hmm. which can then lead to a whole host of concerns um, and physical and mental conditions. Mm -hmm. um, it's looking at things like your genetics and whether you have a predisposition for uh, certain conditions or the way your body handles certain um, nutrients or neurotransmitters, things like that, and making sure that you're living in a, a lifestyle that optimizes your potential for health. Because ultimately, a lot of these things can be prevented if we just mm -hmm. get in there early. I do use a type of medicine that I will be very upfront that I thought was very woo-woo when I first mm -hmm. started naturopathic medical school. Mm -hmm. And I almost quit naturopathic medical school because of it is like, that made that little sense to me with my background in physiology and neurobiology and my uh, time in the military. Mm -hmm. It was very like straightforward, structured thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a type of medicine called homeopathy. And ultimately, it uses very dilute doses of single substances found in nature that fortunately, we're getting more information on how it works. And basically, it works by formation of nanoparticles. And mm -hmm. we know by all of the science that we're doing now, like we're actually using nanomedicine um, nanoparticles uh, for a, a formation of something called hormeosis, which is basically mm -hmm. putting something that causes a condition into your body that then helps to prevent that condition in the first place or treat that condition if it's already starting. Right. And that's basically what homeopathy does. 
And it was um, through a very few um, serendipitous moments that I was able, was willing to try homeopathy in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being really a very profound, powerful medicine. Um, and the, you know, the scientific method and the nature of my observation skills helped me to realize that this, it does work, even if I don't fully understand exactly how it works yet. And the reason I bring up homeopathy is because it is actually a preventative medicine where if you work with somebody starting early enough or at the early stages of something going wrong, going, not, you know, not feeling quite right, um, homeopathy helps to work at the level of susceptibility. So mm-hmm. rather than just treating symptoms and trying to suppress symptoms, it actually helps to reduce susceptibility to symptoms or, or and to, to diseases in, um, in and of themselves. So I use that with, with all of my patients because I see that it is very helpful. And then I obviously focus on the other things too, because, you know, no medicine, homeopathic or conventional can replace if your, your diet, like if your diet is deficient in nutrients, then mm-hmm. um, you're eating tons of things that you're really sensitive to, or that can cause uh, toxicity to your nervous system and your immune system and your hormones. Um, nothing is going to help. Right? Right, right. So prevention really comes in at those levels of, um, optimizing what your genetic base is and then uh, making sure that you, you're really cognizant of the lifestyle. And so the reason that doctors would be important if you're not feeling terrible is to make sure that you're not, there's nothing that you're missing that will end up becoming a big problem in the future. Right. Um, and that's really where it comes in. But when it comes to like the conventional side of things, I could completely agree with you. I see all of my doctors and they're running these tests and I've got all of these red flags for autoimmunity in my body. And they're just like, huh, okay, well, we're just going to keep watching you and wait until it shows up and then we'll do something about it. Whereas I then take those, those lab values and I come back to myself and I, um, I do the work that I know that can help reduce it. So believe it or not, in the last 10 months, I have reduced my auto, I've cut my autoantibodies in half, which is unheard of. Mm-hmm. in the conventional system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that it's just going to continue to improve by the work that I'm doing. But so that, that's really where I see preventive, preventative things coming in more importantly, is that if you can identify something, don't just wait until it becomes a problem to deal with it. And, right. and, it, and I think that's a way to build a relationship with your doctor as well, because, yeah. you know, there's, there's personal care that people talk about, but it's, you know, if you see your doctor once every three to six months, then like you're not building a relationship. How often do you see people for this kind of preventative, um, you know, these preventative care or what, what basically seems like to me is going to a, a, a physician therapist almost. <laughs> uh, so often? it's going to vary from patient to patient. And to be perfectly mm-hmm. honest, I don't get people who are in preventative mode often, okay. really. Um, right. Because like I said, most people come to me when they're already struggling and, and, you know, they've done tons of research and then they found me. Um, right. So I, I don't get that opportunity yeah, to do that's... preventative. So I see people a little bit more frequently because I'm dealing with them while they're in crisis, getting them out of crisis. And then, so a lot of times I am doing symptom management and helping to get them feeling better so they can function. And then we're working on a lot of the preventative things because my goal is to work myself out of a job. And so unlike a conventional psychiatrist, I don't, don't subscribe to the paradigm that once you have a mental health diagnosis that you always have it. I do say that you need to be conscientious of the fact that you have this susceptibility. Right. Homeopathy works on susceptibility, but you still have to pay attention to everything that can contribute to things not going as well as you'd like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'll eventually then work on the preventative type of stuff towards the end of my treatment with somebody where Mm -hmm. I'm then trying to help give them the tools so that they don't need to come see me again. So I I have to do it a little bit reverse. (laughs) Right. Right. Where do you, where do you think that big, that, that major gap is between getting someone who is in conventional care or even in your care to get them into that preventative regular scheduling uh, kind of mentality. It's hard. I mean, it's obviously that it's a, it's a cultural thing in a lot of ways. Um, So what do you think that big, challenges there to try to get them or what, what do you think is maybe something that you're working towards to try to get people to 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 think that way well now you're getting into politics and mindset <laughs> um, so and just just a little warning here if i get a little too wonky please stop me and i won't be offended because i actually recently stepped down as president of our state association and i've done advocacy and lobbying work on okay. the state and federal level for the past decade so mm. i might get a little wonky 
Okay. Um, if but, it goes too well, of course, I'll let you know, but okay. well, I love it. So have at it. <laughs> so there's, I mean, I think it's threefold. I think it's policies um, and just that central dogma that we have as it relates to mental health in this right. country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's stigma associated with mental health conditions. And then I think it's mindset for people with what we have been taught is a value in this right. society. And mm-hmm. so I think that, and, and those are so interconnected because we have a medical system that is set up that is a really a sick care system, not a healthcare system. You, like you said, you don't go see your doctor if everything is fine to make right. sure everything is still fine. And is there anything I can do to feel better or right. to prevent something in 10 years? Mm-hmm. We also have that challenge where we don't identify with future self. Our future self is a stranger and you're not going to go in out of your way to take care of a stranger, like right. a complete stranger who's not asking for your help, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, so we've got that challenge. We also have the fact that the medical system right now is insurance based and the job of an insurance company is to deny care. And Mm -hmm. so they're going to look at only giving care to things that are currently a problem that have to be addressed and Mm -hmm. not true preventative care, unless it's something like early diagnosis, because then if they do early diagnosis, they're going to reduce their costs rather than recognizing the, the cost savings of doing preventative work, which there's more and more studies coming out that are giving more emphasis to that. So I'm hopeful that that will change. Right. But then on top of it, we've got the stigma of getting help, especially for mental health conditions. You know, uh, I can't tell you how <laughs> crushing it was when I got my original diagnosis of bipolar uh-huh. disorder years ago, um, how I thought I was never going to amount to anything and, you know, all of that stuff. Unfortunately, I clearly overcame it and became a doctor anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but so people seek out treatment significantly later than they should because of the stigma. And even when somebody is lucky enough to have a parent who's catching it early, if they don't catch it when the child is under 10, I find that the kid's already got the stigma associated with it and doesn't want to take anything, even if it's natural, doesn't want to take anything or take any effort because it, if they're having to put effort into feeling okay, that means there's something wrong or broken with them or they're different, right? Right, right. Um, or sometimes here in Southern California, we have the opposite effect depending on which um, school district we're in. Right. But some of the kids, there's some of the kids are already on like three or four psych meds by the time they're in high school, and so the kids will who come to see me just want to be put on psych meds because everybody else is on psych meds. It's it's ridiculous to me that that it's how much it's changed even since I've been in high school, which admittedly was a while ago. Right. Um, and then finally, it's like it, there's the mindset component too that because we are in an insurance-based system that we pay a small copay. It's, mm-hmm. we don't see the value, like healthcare is not supposed to be something that costs anything. And if it does cost something, then it's not worth it. Um, and we, we don't recognize the fact that investing money in our health and in ourself and our overall well-being will increase our ability to have access to everything else that we're wanting to spend money on in the first place. Right. So people will spend money that like the amount of money it would cost to see me once a month, which if you're catching things early, you wouldn't even need to see somebody once a month, but the amount of money it would cost to see me once a month, people are spending on like, you know, TV or, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol. I mean, people definitely right. spend, especially in Southern California, and there's like, <laughs> there's this like huge alcohol culture right now. Right. I mean, yes. everybody's got things about beer and wine and they're not recognizing how much worse they're actually making their their life by drinking tons of alcohol right. and and the amount of money i mean i i did the math for a friend of mine recently if she and her um partner were to stop drinking they mm-hmm. would have saved seven thousand dollars a year how much could you do with seven thousand dollars a year right. and how much better would you feel like uh-huh. how much more functional would you be and i'm not like i'm not like super anti you know, alcohol or anything like that. But I just recognize the impacts that it makes when people go overboard and, and, and it's easier to spend like $7 here and there on a glass of wine or a beer or whatever than it is to spend like $150 in one pop someplace. I get that. But Mm -hmm. people are just not doing, they're not really making that decision between what they really want and what they want right now. It's so much easier to make that decision about what you want right now. right? Right. And a lot of people are satiating, you know, bad feelings with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you to ignore things. (laughs) It helps you to like forget about it for a little bit. And then you feel terrible the next day until you get that next drink to give you a little bit of relief. And it's this Mm -hmm. vicious cycle um, that it's, it's unpleasant to break. And I get that just like 
emotional eating or binge eating is unpleasant to break. Right. Um, all of the, the things that we do to escape from the thing that's right in front of us or, or again, from the hard work that we have to do for the thing that we really want. Um, and unfortunately it just creates this big loop. And right. I mean, you really, you really touched on all of the frustrations that, <laughs> of, of everything that's going on, which is amazing. Cause I feel like I've thought about those all in separate cases, but you were just able to just pull it all out. And I'm like, that's just fantastic. I'm just like big grin over here. Um, <laughs> So I can count on your vote then if I eventually run for office, right? Absolutely. I already got you. <laughs> um, <laughs> go for it. I am. Are you, I, I, yep. Yep. I will be on this <laughs> podcast singing your praises. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess this is a good transition to kind of find out a little bit more about your past. Let's kind of Tarantino it a little bit and, <laughs> um, and learn a little bit about like, you know, when you started to learn about your diagnosis or felt what anything was off or, or if there's anything before that you'd like to, to lead up to and speak about, but um, particularly about the diagnosis I'm interested about and, and leading up to it. When did you start feeling like, you know, something was quote unquote different or off mm -hmm. and wanted to figure out what it was? We well, you know everything is super clear in retrospect, right? Right. Um, so I got the appropriate diagnosis when I was 24, when I was in the Navy. Um, I was close to getting out of the Navy, so it was almost the end of my six-year um, term in the Navy. Mm. Um, I had been incorrectly diagnosed when I was 16, when my mom took me to see a psychiatrist because I was struggling with depression, which... I understand why I was incorrectly diagnosed with depression instead of bipolar disorder, but the psychiatrist didn't pay attention to the fact that she gave me a medication that made me bananas. Um, right. I went manic out of my mind and she just didn't pay attention to that. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's part of the, the nature of the struggle. If you're the first person in your family to receive the diagnosis of bipolar disorder, you don't know that you need to be looking out for bipolar disorder. But mm -hmm. the challenge is that women, females generally start with depression as their first symptom or first um, episode. And so unfortunately we're creating more problems, which is again, why it's important to, to <laughs> check your genetics, talk to an naturopathic doctor and figure mm -hmm. out what's going on so that you can see if you're giving something that's going to make somebody crazy. Right. Um, so hopefully we're going to continue to, to improve on, on that side. So anyway, uh, and then, but if I were to look back even further and like, look at all the times that I got really angry and had a bad temper and was kind of moody and like kicked holes in doors and things like that as a child, it's probably been going on most of my life. Um, right. There wasn't a clear episode until I was 16 and then had lots and lots of ups and downs for the next eight years until I was 24. Um, and part of that was I, I got stuck in the same things that I get frustrated about, which is probably why I get so frustrated and, and then so passionate about what I do and why I focus so exclusively on the type of medicine that I do right. and the people that I help. Um, but it was between the stigma of feeling like I was broken or something was wrong with me. I was in the military. And so I was very conventionally focused. Um, and there with the stigma on top of that, not just myself, but in the military. So I had a security clearance and I was an Arabic translator and there was all of these beliefs that are only partially true that if I would have gone to get help with a psychiatrist that I would lose my security clearance. And it's only true if you don't go ask for help yourself. If you are referred by somebody in your chain of command to get psychiatric help, then you will lose your, your security clearance because you don't have the insight to actually right. recognize when you need help. And that could be a, a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I delayed and delayed and delayed until I was so depressed I was suicidal. And uh, when I accidentally woke up one morning or was disappointed when I woke up one morning. I wasn't actively trying to kill myself, but I went to bed thinking maybe the combination of the sleeping pills and alcohol that I had consumed might be deadly. Um, when I woke up the next morning, I was disappointed about it. That's when I finally said, okay, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get help. And if, and neither way will it matter if I have my, my job anymore because mm -hmm. I can't keep going on like this. Right. So that's when I was appropriately diagnosed. Unfortunately, my psychiatrist, I think he was actually brand new, um, which sometimes can be really helpful because people aren't caught in their ideas of what something is. Right. So he did his due diligence. He asked lots of questions and made sure that he didn't just say, okay, yes, you clearly have depression. Let me give, because you've had it before here, let me give you an antidepressant. He was able to figure out that I actually had bipolar disorder, but that also created its own set of challenges for me because one, I just wanted an antidepressant at the time. I was like, I just can't keep feeling so depressed. 
Right. And, but he shared with me that it would actually make me feel significantly worse if I got an antidepressant and it would cause a lot of really bad problems for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other challenge was to, to be told that what I felt like was me at my best was actually me sick. Um, because that's like the, I hadn't at this point reached full blown mania. I did later end up. So I I have bipolar, I have the diagnosis of bipolar one disorder. I actually, just for caveat, I no longer meet the criteria and I've been off of meds for almost a decade Mm -hmm. and had no episodes at all for over five years now. Um, So it is possible to actually have recovery (laughs) from this. I just think that's important to share. And and I still see a psychiatrist at the VA who still won't put, not putting me on the drugs. And that's, Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Not, not even pushing it anymore. Right. Um, but at, before I got to this point, I did have um, mostly just hypomania, which hypomania is not as long, not quite as intense. It's really like what you look at as more of like the fun experience. It's, you know, grandiose thinking, thinking you're on top of the world, the center of attention, the life of the mm-hmm. party, that yep. you're fast moving with your thoughts. I mean, you, you said you have cyclothymia, so you get it because you have yep. a version of that. I talk about um, that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and to be told like that you, when you're at your absolute best and your happiest is sick is crushing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there was that whole thing to struggle with. Like, okay, so what am I really? If like when I feel good, I'm sick. And when I feel bad, I'm sick. Like, is there any part of me that's not sick? Right. Um, so I went on, on and off medications like most people who have bipolar disorder or mood disorders do and had lots and lots of ups and downs, destroyed lots of relationships and um, had lots of questions in my life about what I was going to do and how I was going to do it with this new challenge. And fortunately, it turns out I'm, I'm a stoic philosopher and I, when I didn't even know that stoicism existed. <laughs> And the obstacle is the way. And so I figured out how to recognize that, okay, here's my obstacle. I have this diagnosis that everybody is telling me is a life sentence and that will prevent me from having children and having a family and having the career that I wanted. And okay, let's figure out how to make that true or untrue. Like right. let, let's, let's figure that out. And so it took several years and like some coincidences and serendipitous moments where I found out about naturopathic medicine when I was expecting I was going to have to do a conventional medical program and then Mm -hmm. travel the world to learn natural therapies and different ways to approach it. Because let's be honest, the meds that I was put on that, I don't know if you've ever been on medications or anything like that, but I haven't, no, um, they're not pleasant. They cause all sorts of other, other diseases. Like, so what we call, um, conventional medicine is also called allopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. which actually means different suffering, which means that rather than mm-hmm. like just going exactly against what it is that you're struggling with, that they give you something that can cause other suffering um, is what it actually means. Uh, which is funny that the conventional doctors still stick to that and they call it allopathic medicine. It's like different suffering. Okay. Um, <laughs> but realistically, if you think about it, like, so I, I took a couple of different psych meds. I was on lithium and I was on some antidepressants and I was mm-hmm. on Seroquel for a while. Mm-hmm. And all of those, like they destroyed my thyroid, caused some metabolic challenges that I've had to struggle <clears throat> to like overcome for years mm-hmm. and years. Um, so basically most of these psych meds, they, they dull you down, make you feel really foggy like a flat version of yourself. So you're not feeling highs and lows, but you feel nothing at all. Right. Um, and I was like, this just, this can't be right. Oh, and, and the lithium also starts to slow down kidney function. Right. And you know, it just. It doesn't so I feel like getting better. It, 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 well, yeah, it did not feel like getting better. Yeah. I was like, you know, and the thing is having a mental health condition I feel is actually a gift. I think that every single mental health diagnosis has a, an evolutionary adapt- adaptation that it helped to meet in one way yes. or another. And sometimes they just get a little bit too enhanced that right. they then lead to suffering rather than having the advantages of them. And that's so something I love the, about you. So oh. you're saying we're the X-Men. Is yes, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, I made, I make jokes and like, I hope this isn't offensive to anybody that listens, but I make jokes about how there's no such thing as a perfectly functioning brain. You're either crazy or stupid. And I yeah. say it with a lot of heart because mm-hmm. I think everybody's mostly crazy and it's just right. varying degrees. Right. And so, and, and I've seen that there, and there's like scientific studies too that show that the 
higher your intelligence, the more likely you are to have some sort of mental health diagnosis as well. They seem right. to go hand in hand. Yeah. And I say that it's because if you didn't have a mental health diagnosis to get in the way, you end up becoming a dictator of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, wonderful. <laughs> but there's a lot of advantages to them as well. You know, like, right anxiety helps people to stay more alert. So they're the ones who are able to avoid the predators and the, you know, mm -hmm. invading marauders, right? right? People who have bipolar disorder and, or cyclothymia, like m mood fluctuations are able to experience things in life in a much more rich and colorful way. And also in a darker way that you can also relate to people with their suffering um, mm -hmm. in ways that you couldn't if you never, never experienced um, depression. And right. even with schizophrenia or people who hear voices, you know, in bipolar disorder, you can hear voices or have psychotic um, symptoms as well. It's mostly like we, it's stuff that we all do. Every single person hears voices. We just recognize it as our own. Right. And it's those voices that then because that, that habit that we all have, that, that tendency just gets ex exaggerated and then becomes separate. Um, right. And then it becomes scary. And we, because right. we all say some mean and scary things to ourselves too, right? That's mm -hmm. part of the mindset side of things. So, right. I was telling my partner Molly that she, uh, that that when I was, whenever I go through the lower end of my cycle, and it's not necessarily suicidal these days, but it is a preoccupation with death, mm -hmm. uh, and that it's it's like these thoughts get, you know, unconsciously put into my head and it's not necessarily me driving this. It's not like I'm looking through Facebook and suddenly I'm like, what, what would happen if my mom died? And then just go mm -hmm. through all of this, this intense thought and be preoccupied with those emotions and those feelings and everything that's going along with that. Um, it, it goes along with this idea of like, like what you're saying is, is we all have these voices in our head, but we, we create comfort by making it our voice and then, mm -hmm. You know, not everyone has control of being able to continue that and keep keep up with keeping that voice as ours, um, which is really interesting. And another thing that I've spoken about on the podcast itself is how I've been able to use or my mental health as like a superpower, essentially. Like mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, like an X-Men kind of thing. Like it feels like it feels like an extra sensory kind of thing. It feels like I'm just sensitive to certain types of feeling as opposed as opposed to you know, everyone else has a certain um, uh, a, a more quote unquote standard version of it, but this is exaggerated. And this is what mm -hmm. going to those extremes feels like. And being able to feel that uh, allows me, it's allowed me to have this personal growth and to have this show and to be able to talk to you, which is fantastic. And, and have all of these growth experiences to make me feel like I can grow beyond the uh, learning capacity of someone who would just be living a, a more conventional life. And yeah. that, that is really a, a hashtag blessing on its own. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I, I love that you have reached to this point and I hope that we can create a groundswell with people who are doing work similar to what you're doing and what I'm doing and like right. the others who are, who are there to help people recognize that it doesn't have to be something that one, you have to be afraid of, Mm -hmm. Two, that you have to live with forever. And three, that you can't work. There, there's not a lot of ways to work your way around these things. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of recognizing that, well, a couple of issues too, that we, we going back to that like central dogma issue that we have is that there's a pill for everything and that everything's uh -huh. just, you just have to take a pill and that there's right. just a neurotransmitter imbalance. Well, the, the, the fact is that doesn't actually pan out in the research. The, the neurotransmitter theory is inaccurate. Right. Um, and the or inaccurate slash incomplete. Um, so we'll, we'll say that. Um, and so we just think, oh, well, if there's, if I don't feel perfect, then we, I just need to take a pill to feel perfect. And so rather than recognizing like emotions and ways of interacting with your environment are normal and natural and everybody in the universe is having them. Mm -hmm. And your job is to understand and learn how to recognize what that emotion is telling you and what you need to do about it. Um, and then also being able to have that cognizance of when it's an emotion that is out of alignment with the reality that other people around you are experiencing as well. When, when it does, does get to that like elevated level. Um, right. But I think a lot of people could avoid that if we could start to have more comfort 
with the fact that we aren't always going to feel perfect or that maybe that perfection is having these fluctuations in our mood and fluctuations in our stability of our um, trust in the, our surroundings, you know, with anxiety and things like that. Right. And, and continuing to be honest about this as a genuine human experience and not that it's something that's different from, you know, the standard or the conventional, that this is something that is its own version of, of fitting in almost. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a, and it's a reason that I have this podcast because I'm, I'm not a doctor. I didn't really have the kind of upbringing that would push me in that direction. Um, and, but it doesn't avoid me from being able to speak about what I've been learning as a person and mm-hmm. to be honest about it. And the point of this show is to create that exposure that like even people who are trying to create art or people who are trying to start a small business or trying to do coaching or trying to do anything in their lives have dealt with some version of something like everybody's got shit that they're dealing with mm-hmm. and whether it's extreme or not. And to create that exposure is to create tolerance in the long run. And lead everybody in the direction of doing more preventative care and being able to come to you. So we're all doing the same kind of work, but in uh, this kind of (laughs) different kind of way. And uh, hopefully we can all get there at some point. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's, I feel like it's moving, but it's very slow. Hopefully we can keep it, keep it going. Well, I'm hoping that, you know, we've got this like blessing and curse situation with social media because social media makes people feel like they're suffering in ways that they actually aren't because they're they've got this delusion We, we all have these shared delusions about what other people's lives are and what our life actually is and it feels like we all uh, we all feel like our life sucks for one reason or another right because we think that somebody else has these other better things and in reality they're jealous of us um but we are we're reducing our communication and our true connectedness by being hyper connected and that's getting in the way because Mm -hmm. it's creating these beliefs that are just not true and on top of all the rapid things that we we rapid changes in how you feel with whether it's the xanax or the wine or coffee whatever um or the scrolling and scrolling and scrolling right Right. Mm -hmm. um but we we also have the opportunity to like share more information through social media at the same time to help Mm -hmm. people see that there's more opportunities you know a lot of people who end up finding me especially those kids in that pans and pandas realm they find me through moms that connect with each other on Facebook to support each other. So it's like, it can be such a hugely powerful thing to help people who are struggling and suffering to connect. Um, but also damaging at the same time, because it's so curated for what we see that we're either exposed to nothing but suffering or nothing but people who have lives that are better than ours. Right. You know, it's like building friendships or, or building lasting friendships. Like it takes a while. It takes, mm-hmm. it takes time to experience things together, to create those connections, to have genuine conversations about what is going on in the world and what needs to change and, and all of these little things. It's not, you know, and, and that really separates the conventional model of what we've been talking about, you know, going to the doctor and they hit you in the knee and you give your meds and you're on your way versus, mm-hmm. you know, slowly cultivating a relationship with your doctor or cultivating a relationship with each other so that people care about each other and that we're more concerned about caring about each other and our physical needs and our emotional needs and mental needs like every single day, all of the time. And the thing that you kind of kept bringing up, certainly say kind of, but you have been bringing up is the fact of not ignoring it. Even if you feel good and you feel healthy and you feel like you've improved from a previous bad situation or have not even experienced something to that depth, that not ignoring the fact that these possibilities exist to be able to fall back into it or to experience something or to, uh, to fall into a physical illness is is important and it's not about like creating this hypochondria to be scared every day but it's just about uh uh, you know caring about yourself and each other in a way that involves almost like a a a regular checkup or regular check-in rather so Mm -hmm. that it's it's a subconscious thing it's it's just part of our lives and it sounds like that's part of your mission too absolutely it's you know it being there for each other and being there for ourselves that really sort of stuck out to me too because you know being able to be be there for yourself and 
accepting of the things that you're experiencing rather than always trying to push things away. And, you know, most people who are interested in art and creativity and entrepreneurship and things like that have a meditation mm -hmm. practice or at least aspire to one. But holy cow, is that powerful to be able to learn to just sit with everything. And again, like the stoic right. before I knew stoicism was a thing, <laughs> yep. recognizing that everything is temporary uh -huh. and being able to, to appreciate the good times, but know that those are also not going to last and the bad times aren't going to last, you know? So it, it's not about just like push through because I'll get to good again. So I, I can ignore this because the good time that you're going to get to also is temporary and you need right. to be able to have the tools to thrive in any circumstance and to be resilient in any circumstance. And that's really what a naturopathic doctor does. That's really what I focus on in my practice is helping people to um, have the tools to, to improve their resilience on their own. And then also using the, the homeopathic medicine that ultimately that's what it does is it, it really bolsters resilience by reducing susceptibility and, and helping to the body to get back into its own balance. So, yeah. Um, and, and one more thing that's kind of an extension of that is, and, and all of those problems that we talked about kind of in the middle of the show, mm -hmm. uh, an extension of that is also this, this aspect that being selfish and caring about ourselves is a bad thing because we're so used to hearing the word selfish as like, you're so selfish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that taking care of yourself, it's kind of like the airline thing where you have to put on the mask for yourself first before you can put it on your kids. You exactly. know, being able to take care of yourself first is, is absolutely important and something that we, we talk about quite a bit on this show. I even had an episode about stoicism, so it's pretty rad. That oh, you, awesome. <laughs> you kind of go into that. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to do some follow-up episodes on that too, because it is an interesting way of approaching the world. This, this aspect of like, everything is temporary, but it's not like a defeatist bad thing. It's just, it's a way to, it's another way of reframing and appreciating everything that we have in our life. And I recommend if you haven't read it already, there's this book called the art of stoic joy um, for you or the audience. It's really, really good. It's, it really was my big introduction into stoicism and um is a, is a really great way to start thinking about these concepts in a way that is healthy and interesting, but it also talks about a lot of the history behind it too. So you, you go into like the philosophers and all of that stuff. It's really fascinating. Awesome. And better, easier introduction than like diving right into Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or something, right? Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the, the entryway into that. It's the Oprah version. Yeah. <laughs> it's the like lighter weight version of getting into that. Um, but uh, I think we're going to start to wrap up because you've, you've got a thing soon and I've got a thing soon and we've got to keep going with our lives because time is a thing that doesn't stop. And um, uh, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm very, very happy that we had this talk. Um, we covered a whole ton of things. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get into um, that we didn't cover? No, we, we, I feel like we probably could get into so many, so far into the weeds on any of the topics right. we talked about. So, right. But I think we did a really good job of really getting across the importance of um, all of the things that we're talking about as it relates to just being a human being. Cause this really isn't about being mentally ill or mentally well. It's it's, or being an entrepreneur or being, it's not anything about, or an artist or whatever. It's not, I don't think it's about that. It's just about being a human because right. this is a human experience for all of us. And the more we start to accept that and the more we start to work with it, the better off we're all going to do in all of the endeavors that we're seeking out. And you're absolutely right. Like you have to focus on, yourself you have to take care of yourself because if you can't you can't actually fully be there for your clients or your spouse your partner your friendships you can't, your, your environment like you're you can't be engaged in something else if you haven't taken care of yourself first perfect um so uh if it's for anyone listening if you have any questions or any particular topics that we've broken down that um you'd like us to dive further into you know well I'm, I'm sure you would like to come back at some point um if if you'd be down to kind of dive deeper especially if there's like stuff to talk about stoicism i think that'd be a lot of fun to talk about um or, or anything that relates to what you're doing and you know maybe we'll wait a few months and see if yeah the needles moving a little bit on certain things and talk about <laughs> stuff. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you having me. And yes, I'd be happy to come back. It was fun talking to you and it sounds like we could probably have some good discussions. All right. Fantastic. See you guys. This episode is brought to you by Honeysuckle White. If you're looking for ways to make mealtime healthier in the new year, make your favorite recipes with turkey from Honeysuckle White. Take the pressure off. Keep it simple and tasty without sacrificing flavor for nutrition. Whether you want a delicious sandwich or post-workout protein, Honeysuckle White Turkey can do it all. 
Visit honeysucklewhite.com for recipe inspiration and to find retailers near you. Honeysuckle White. Eat what you love. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. Okay, and we're back. I forgot to ask you <laughs> about uh, telling people where they can get a hold of you um, to learn more about what you do. Yeah, so that's a fantastic question because I don't want to have people pummeling you with questions for me, really, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so my website, I've got two websites. One is resiliencenaturopathic.com. That is the website for our practice that can go over everything that we uh, do and get more information about what we do there. And you can contact us through the email on the website there. Um, and then you can also find out a little bit more about the program that I was talking about. The uh, We call it Pharma Free Pregnancy by visiting drjenniferbar.com. That's drjenniferbahr.com uh, to get more information about that specific program. Uh, so those are the basic places that you can find information about us. And all of our contact information is on the Resilience Naturopathic website. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And thank you to the listeners for dealing with us. It's a good time. (laughs) (laughs) And we're leaving for real this time. See you guys. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.